Well, good morning, church. Am I on? Am I good? All good? Good morning, church. Woo, welcome. And if you're visiting today, welcome to Calvary Chapel, North Shore. I think I lost my voice singing those songs. Awesome. Hey, well, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews today, chapter 1. We're starting. We did Philemon last week. We did the whole book. And now we're starting Hebrews. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will get you one. Anybody need a Bible? Just put your hand up high over here. Anyone else? Okay. And while you're turning to Hebrews chapter 1, um, we've got a couple of announcements. And so I want to read those to you. Lots of stuff going on during the week. We would love to get you plugged in to what's going on and uh, get involved in ministry. There's so much to do here. I already lost it. Where's that little thing? Oh, yeah, I got it. Operation Christmas Child is in effect. We are starting to pack boxes. I think we have to ship them out in November, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so we've got to get these boxes filled, and the boxes go to kids in third world countries along with the gospel. So it's been a really good tool for getting the gospel out, seeing entire villages get saved, and, and, and be able to bless little kids that uh, really don't have anything. They don't have enough food. They don't have the things that they need, and so it's a great time for us to give. So I encourage you uh, to get a box. Also, there's going to be an Operation Christmas Child packing party Next Saturday at 4 p.m. right here, we've, uh, we've got a bunch of items to pack the boxes. If you want to come and help pack boxes, that would be a real blessing. And then we put a little note in there, a little prayer, and we pray over the boxes and uh, just ask God's will to be done. So that packing party will be next Saturday right here at 4 p.m. And then right after that will be Family Youth Night. Uh, Chauncey, I call him Pastor Chauncey, he's going to be a pastor soon someday, and uh, he runs the youth thing, and it's going to be really awesome. Uh, that starts at 5 o'clock. There's food and fun. They do all kinds of different stuff, and they mix it up a lot, so it's really cool. Now, October 21st, we're having a craft fair. Uh, any of those folks in the church who make their own crafts, you're going to have an opportunity to sell those crafts in the lobby October 21st. It's a Saturday from 10 to 1. And if you have any questions about that, it's open to our church to sell the crafts, um, and, but it's open to the whole community to come out and to purchase those and at a time, you know, to raise some money. And it's a good thing. So you can see my wife right here. We're going to have a meeting, right? So, but raise your hand. You can come see my wife. Or you can some, come see my daughter, Heather, right here and get plugged in that. They're going to have a short meeting after church today. So uh, meet up here with them on that. Uh, what else do we got? we got? We got all kinds of stuff. We got an Indian missions uh, going in February 9th through 21st. Uh, there'll be a, a, a special event going on in India with Pastor Jay, who was here not too long ago, and they're going to be uh, ordaining 78 pastors. And so uh, we got a group that's going to go for that. If you'd like to get involved with that, you can see Bill Sugg and Heather Sugg for that. Uh, also, we've got uh, our little Hallelujah Harvest uh, party going on for Halloween on a Tuesday night where we take the opportunity on one of the darkest nights of the year to bring some light, to bring the gospel, and to share the gospel. And so what we do is we tent the whole parking lot out front, 
We got about five barbecues. We start cooking burgers and dogs. We give out meals to about 1,500 people. Uh, it's all free. We got game booths and prizes for the kids, all free. And every bag of candy we hand out has a track in it. We're giving away Bibles. We're sharing the gospel. And boy, we've seen some tremendous fruit come out of it over the year because basically Kilauea is like the hub for everybody who wants to come here. I mean, folks come from the North Shore. They come from East Side to come here because this is the spot and everybody travels right past us. And it's an event that's absolutely free, just like the gospel. And so we see great things. So if you want to get involved with that, we have sign-up sheets out in the lobby. We need cooks. We need some extra barbecues. We need some extra pop-up tents. We need people to run game booths. We need people to prep food. Uh, we need people to hand out candy and tracks and, and all that good stuff. So there's an opportunity for everybody. We need help with uh, setup and teardown. So get signed up. Get plugged in. I think I hit everything. Is there anything we're missing besides uh, we really need to pray for Israel? They are in a war. They are under attack. There's been over 3,500 rockets launched on them. It's being funded by Iran, who definitely wants Israel off the map, and they want us off the map. And so we need to be praying for them. We really need to be watching who gets involved in this because right now the Hamas is claiming it, but the Hezbollah is not going to stand around and let them take all the credit. So uh, there's been a lot of abductions, uh, people kidnapped, and they're holding hostages so uh, the Israelis won't just come in with an airstrike and take out Gaza Strip. So there's a lot of hostages right now, so they need prayer. Um, we really want to watch who gets involved with this. If we see Russia move into place and Turkey and Libya, uh, we know that that's biblical. we got some heavy stuff that's about to go down. So uh, we know that God is using things like this to open the eyes of Israel. God loves Israel. God still has a plan for Israel. We need to understand that the tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel, is not for the church. It's for Israel, God's promises to Israel. The Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of an archangel, the sound of a trump. The dead in Christ shall rise first. We that are alive and remain will be caught up in the clouds with the Lord. And so shall we ever be. So we're to comfort one another with that. But as he takes us off the planet, it throws us into the 70th week of Daniel, where God is not through with Israel. Everybody needs to understand the 70 weeks of Daniel deal with Israel. They don't deal with the church. They deal with Israel. We're taken out. God's giving Israel a chance to open their eyes, and they will open their eyes and see the true Messiah. So that's a good thing. So we know that there's just this stuff that's taking place. We know that Ezekiel 38 has to happen. We know that there's going to be Russia, Turkey, Iran, Libya coming up against Israel. We know that Saudi Arabia will be saying, why are you doing this? And we already see everything in place. I say all that to pray, pray for their eyes to be open, but also pray, come Lord Jesus, because he's coming soon. And we're out of here, guys. All right, I thought you'd be a little more excited than that. I mean, whoo, check your pulse. Do you love Jesus? I mean, we, you know, and that should encourage us. That should pump us up to, uh, to want to do more for him. You know what I'm saying? He's done so much for us. If you really stop and think about what we have to look forward to, I think we need to step up our game. I really, I know I need to step up my game. Maybe I'm speaking for myself, not for you. Maybe your game's on, but I, I think I need to increase. I, I, I need to increase in him. I need to decrease in me. 
And we need to pray for Israel as we get into this book of Hebrews, which is to Jewish Christians. So let's bow our hearts and lift up Israel to, to the Lord. Father, we thank you. Um, thank you, Lord, that we can pray, that we have access, that we can come boldly before your throne of grace. Lord, thank you that we've been grafted in, that we uh, serve a Jewish God. And Lord, we love the Jews. And Lord, we lift them up to you right now. We, we pray as they've been crying out that through all this crying out to you, Lord God, that they would see you for who you really are and turn their lives over to you and rest in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, creator of all things, God incarnate, dwelling among us to die for our sins, to raise on the third day, ascending into heaven, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so, Lord God, we pray for you to intervene with this war and set people straight. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, we are in Hebrews chapter 1 and I got to tell you, there is just so much stuff here in Hebrews. And I want to encourage you too that, if, has anybody ever read Leviticus? Oh, I guess not a popular book. I know it's a little tedious and it's about a bunch of rules and laws and stuff like that. But let me just tell you, go back and read Leviticus again and then come and read the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews is kind of like an overlining look at Leviticus. It, it brings it out into just basic English for you because everything points to Jesus. And this book is an amazing book uh, dealing with with those Christians that were Jews in Jerusalem and go, they're going back to uh, the practicing of the law, tasting and experiencing the goodness of Jesus Christ and saved by faith, but because of the culture and the pressure of the culture, they were brought back under the bondage of works. They were brought back under the bondage of the law. They were brought back under the bondage of sacrificing again, dietary laws, circumcision, which none of that stuff saves you. All those things were pointing to a Messiah that would come and be the sacrifice once and for all for sin. Jesus Christ paid the price on the cross to tell us die, paid in full, cried out, it's finished. He did it. You got nothing to bring to the table except yourself. You bring yourself to Jesus. You say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I believe you died for my sins, rose again. I believe you're the only way to salvation. Save me now. Forgive me of my sin. And he'll save you. It's a gift of God. And everything outside of Christianity is works-driven to an angry God who can never be satisfied and can never save you. And people say, you Christians, you're narrow. That's you, narrow thinking that there's only one way. I'm blown away that there is a way. And I'll tell you right now, if I said I had a cure for cancer, you wouldn't be sitting there going, I want choices. We're all dying from the cancer of sin, and the choice is Jesus Christ. He's the great physician. He died for you and prepared a way and offers you a gift. Take the gift, live forever. Simple, right? Praise the Lord. I love that. So I've entitled this message, The Superiority of Jesus Christ Over Everything. He's the creator of all things. And so what this does is it tackles that he's superior over angels. 
The angels are told to worship him. Contrary to what some people teach, they say that Jesus was Michael the archangel. Jesus is not Michael or the archangel. You would never get that from just reading the Bible. In this, in this chapter, and we're going to look at chapters 1 and 2 next week, we're going to see that God's going to say, what angel did I ever say could sit at my right hand? The Bible's going to say that all the angels worship Jesus. Jesus is not an angel. He's God. He's the off-shining. He's the creator. He's part of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, three but one. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father, he said to Philip. He came clothed in flesh. Because no man can stand in, in God's presence and live, not in these mortal bodies. So what does he do? He impresses himself into creation, comes down born of a virgin, clothed in flesh, something tangible that you and I can hold on to, touch, hug, relate to. And he says, I'm going to give my life for you. I'm going to pay the price for your sin. I'm going to pay a debt you can't pay, a debt that I never owed because I love you so much. I don't want to see you end up in hell. And hell's a real place, but it wasn't created for you. It was created for Satan and the fallen angels. We are eternal beings. We have an eternal soul. You're either going to go to heaven or hell. There's no in-between. There's no in-between. There's no purgatory. You're not going to find that anywhere in the Bible. There's no praying for the dead. Once you die, then the judgment. You're either for him or against him. You're on one side or you're on the other. If you reject him, you're, you're re separated from the true and living God throughout all eternity. It's a punishment that you choose. He didn't do it to you. You chose it. Well, I don't think that's fair that God would send people to hell. God does not send anybody to hell. You send yourself. He's standing right there with a gift saying, hey, take it, live forever. Come and spend it in my kingdom. Full of peace and joy for eternity. But if you reject that, you're looking at pain and torment. Everlasting. That's what the scripture says. Everlasting. Never ceasing. Why would you do that to yourself? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I, I got to ask you, why would you do that? You know why you do that? Pride. Because pride doesn't want to be accountable to anybody. Pride doesn't want to say, you know what, I think that's the better way. I, I don't think I know what I'm talking about. Pride is the origin of sin. Get the pride out of your life. Accept Jesus Christ and what he did. He's offering you a gift. Just take it. You don't have to do anything for it. Just receive it. But I'll tell you what, when you genuinely receive it into your life, it transforms your life, and now you will live for Jesus like you never lived before. Amen? See those Ten Commandments that you were always told about before you were born again? The Ten Commandments that you couldn't keep? You will find yourself as a transformed believer in Christ Jesus. You will find yourself now doing the commandments more than ever before. Why? Because you have to? No, because you love Him. Because of everything that He's done for you. And so this book is going to show the superiority of Jesus over angels, over men, over prophets, over priests, over all creation. Because He is the Creator of all things. So let's look at the first four verses. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4. God. The writer just gets right into it. No greetings, no hellos, nothing. Just this was to, to the writer 
of this book, Hebrews, this was something that was urgent to get to the people there in Jerusalem and Judea. God, who at sundry times in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and the upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Father, we thank you for the word of God and we ask right now that you would speak to us in a mighty, powerful way, give us ears to hear what the Spirit's saying. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the purpose of this letter is to warn those Christians in Jerusalem of walking away from God's grace and going back under the law. And you know, that's a warning for each and every one of us, right? Because we have a tendency that when we first get saved, we're so excited about the Word of God, we're so excited about the grace of God, that everything's wonderful and amazing, and, and everybody's just beautiful and loving in the church, and then next thing you know, we get a few verses under our belt, and we start really taking a look at other people like, hmm. Once you get a little bit of knowledge, next thing you know, you're kind of like going, yeah, what about that guy? And this guy needs to do this. And, and we can become legalistic. Listen, stop worrying about everybody else's ministry. Worry about yourself. How are you doing with Jesus? Keep your eyes on Jesus. You won't have time to look at anybody else or be judgmental. We are not to be judgmental. We are not to be critical to one another. We're to be encouraging to one another. But it's funny because we can become just like the Pharisees where we think we're better than others because I'm reading the Bible every day and I'm praying every day. Well, I serve in the church. I went on the missions team. Oh, well, good for you. Praise the Lord. But that doesn't mean you're better than anybody else. But isn't it interesting how we can start to take on that air about us that we think that we're better because we're doing more, I give more, I serve more, I read more, I pray more, I minister more. And we've lost our love. We love Jesus. We serve Jesus. We give to Jesus. We, we do ministry because of what he's done for us in appreciation. And man, we want to be encouraging one another for every one of us to get involved with that and to help raise people up. But one of the dangers that the author of this letter saw was that Jewish Christians were getting pressured by the culture to go back under law. And instead of salvation by faith, it became salvation by faith and keeping the law. Salvation by faith and circumcision. Salvation by faith and dietary laws. Salvation by faith and sacrificing again which was a slap in the face to the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus was the final sacrifice once and for all. No need for a sacrifice again. He finished the work at the cross. Sacrifices, the law, the traditions were all the feast. They were all pointing to Jesus. They were pointing to a Messiah that would come. And Jesus was the one that fulfilled the law. And we are no longer under the law. Can you say amen? 
We're under grace. Thank God for grace. I never would have made it. We're not under the law, but we keep the law better than ever before because of his grace, because of his mercy, because of his tremendous love for us. So many of the Jews that became Christians in Jerusalem were under the pressure of going back to all these these rules and regulations. So the purpose of this letter is to point out the superiority of Jesus over angels and prophets, the ironic priesthood, creation, the law of Moses, circumcision, dietary laws. Jesus is superior. And so the question has been up for centuries who wrote the book of Hebrews? Anybody? Oh, you guys are good. Well, actually, nobody knows because there's no signature to it. And I'm just going to say this the real author was Jesus Christ. Because he was the author and the finisher of our faith. But the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ that dwells in us, got a hold of the hand of man and wrote 66 books by 40 authors by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we see that each writer of every book in the Bible has a little insight to his character and what really stood out to him. So there's, there's some uniqueness in the writings of certain men in the Bible. And Paul certainly had a style. Things that he dwelt on. He always pulled from Old Testament to pr- pr- present his case. He, he has a special way of writing. And when I look, and I'm just going to say this out, 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 out front. I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. That's my opinion. There's no proof. I challenge you, Acts 17.11, be Berean. That the, the Bereans listened to Paul teach all the time, but didn't take his word for it. They went back, opened the Scriptures, studied the Scriptures to see if what he was saying was true. I encourage you to do that. This is my opinion. I think Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. And I could do a whole study pointing out why. But I'm just going to give you a few things today why I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews and then hopefully that causes you to go back and dig because you don't believe me. So I love it if that causes you to get excited to go look for yourself in the Bible. Um, Some things that really stood out to me was that in Hebrews 10.34, the author of Hebrews says that you, the folks that are listening to this letter, had compassion for me in my bonds, had compassion for me in my chains. Anybody you know that was writing letters in prison? And then it also says in Hebrews 13 that Timothy was with him, the author of this book, and had just been released. Uh, Timothy was known for being with the Apostle Paul. But I love what Peter in his writing says, Peter writing first and second Peter was writing to Hebrew Christians. And he says this in 2 Peter 3:15, and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him has written to you. That's pretty good. 
as also in his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which are untaught, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, and they do also to the rest of the scriptures. How many groups out there are twisting the scriptures to their own destruction? You know what? All you got to do is teach the Bible. Just this, this, this is like a lion. It can defend itself. Just open it up. It'll defend itself. Just read the scripture. You're golden. But there's a lot of people that take these scriptures and they twist them and they write a whole different book and they call that the word. It's not. It's false. This is the word of God. This is Holy Spirit breathed. This is anointed by God, the author and the finisher of our faith. Listen, if you believe in the first verse of Genesis 1-1, You'll have no problem thinking that God can make this all happen right here. This is all you need, guys. You don't need any other books. You got the book. You got everything Jesus wanted you to have. To know what to expect, what to do, where you're going. And it's a beautiful thing. So, basically what Peter's saying when he makes this statement as our beloved brother Paul, according to wisdom given to him, has written to you, if, Peter, if Paul didn't write the book of Hebrews, then there must be some letter to the Hebrews that's out there floating around that we don't know about. And I don't think that's the case. It's my opinion that I believe that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Now, interesting, in Hebrews 13, 18, the author of Hebrews says, pray for us. If you look at all the other epistles in the New Testament, None of the other writers ever say, pray for us, except Paul. Over and over again. At the end of Hebrews, he finishes the letter by, grace be with you all, amen. No other writer of an epistle in the New Testament ever ends their letter with that, except for Paul. Look at all of his epistles. They all end with grace be with you all. Amen. Grace be with you all or grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And here in Hebrews, grace be with you all. Amen. In Habakkuk 2.4 and Paul was notorious for reaching back to the Old Testament. Habakkuk 2.4 said the just shall live by faith. And I see Paul doing an amazing thing with that scripture because he mentions that scripture in Romans and in Galatians, and it appears also in Hebrews. So what is he driving home at? Well, the just shall live by faith in Romans. Romans is a letter to the just. How shall they live? Galatians covers how we shall live. We, were start, we began in the Spirit. What, are you going to perfect yourself in the flesh? No, you're going to live by the Spirit. So Galatians deals with how we shall live. But how shall we live? Hebrews covers that by faith. The just shall live by faith. That verse appears not only in Habakkuk, but it appears in Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews. So your next question might be, well, then why didn't Paul sign it? Well, I think that's up to God, right? But I think maybe, probably, because there was a lot of prejudice against his ministry. Because you've got to remember, to the Jew, he was a sellout, right? 
This was a guy that was gathering up Christians and throwing them into jail. This was a guy that was killing Christians. This was a guy that was beating and torturing Christians. This was a guy that was a murderer and an enemy to the church of God. But to the Christian, they didn't trust him. Right? Does that make sense? Okay, let me put it to you like this. Look, Holocaust, Hitler's killing Jews. Hitler walks into a synagogue with the rabbi one Saturday and everybody freaks out and the rabbi goes, it's cool, he's one of us now. How comfortable are you going to feel? You're like, I'm out of here. I don't trust him. I think it's a setup. I think we're going to the, to the camps. So you had Jews that looked at him as a traitor. You had Christians that didn't trust him. And so I believe the reason it wasn't signed was because God didn't want it signed because of possibly a prejudice against his ministries. So take that for what it's worth. Do your own research and see what you think. Now one of the things that Hebrews does bring to light, like I said, is sort of an overview of what Leviticus is all about. So if you've read Leviticus and you kind of struggled through that because it's a little bit tedious, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of information. Um, but Leviticus, all the stuff in Leviticus was pointing to the Messiah. And Leviticus was, was stuff to help bring the children of Israel out of Egypt and through the wilderness to the promised land. That was the, one of the points. So what Hebrews does is kind of give us the same overview, but this time it's to the believer, that the believer, as being one in Jesus Christ, we've been brought out of Egypt. We have been brought out of this world. This world is not our home. We are passing through the wilderness of this world to the promise. The promise that God gave us. That we're just passing through. This is not our home. We are citizens in heaven. So as we get into these first three verses, though it is an introduction, I want you to look at it as sort of a summary of the entire book of Hebrews. If you can memorize the first three verses, it is a summary of the entire book of Hebrews. So God at sundry times or various times in various ways, spoken time past to the fathers by the prophets, have in these last days spoken to us in his son whom he has appointed heir to all things, through him also made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory and the excellent and the, uh, the impress of his image, of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That is an overview look at the entire book of Hebrews. And so what he does there and what he's going to do in these first couple of chapters, and we'll deal with angels more next week, uh, he's going to say that Jesus is superior to angels. Jesus was superior to the prophets and the priesthood and that God in times past before Christ came spoke to man through angels, through the priesthood, through the prophets, through man to bring a message that Jesus, when he came, gave Everything that we need to understand what that message was. Because in many times with the prophets and even the priests, they left scratching their head over the things that they said that they knew that was from God, but they didn't fully understand what they meant. And so in verse 1, when it says God in sundry times or various times in various ways spoken time past the fathers by the prophets, uh, we know that in Genesis, 
he used primarily angels to speak to people. And throughout the, the centuries, he did that too. We saw uh, angels being used with Mary, the, the message that she was going to have the virgin birth, the Messiah. Angels came to Joseph to say, it's okay. It is a thing of God. The angels came to, Gabriel came to Joseph to say, flee, go to Egypt. Herod's, Herod's going to try to kill the baby. And, and so God uses angels. He used them with Daniel. He used them all over the place. But then when we got into Exodus, God started to use Moses. And Moses was the one that was supposed to bring the people to the promised land. But the problem is that when they got to the edge where the promised land was, Moses wasn't allowed to take them in. And Jesus is superior to Moses, chapter 3. Jesus is superior to Joshua, chapter 4 of Hebrews, uh, because Joshua was able to bring the children of Israel into the promised land, but he wasn't able to bring them into the rest. And the only one that could bring the, all of us into the rest is Jesus Christ. And then from chapters 5 through 10, he shows that Jesus is greater than the priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood. That because, of, because the priests and the prophets were men, men have flaws. Men are sinful. Jesus isn't. And so when Jesus comes... Who better to tell us how it really is with all the answers than the author and the finisher of our faith? Amen. In verse 2, he says, And in these last days is spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. And so all this leading up to the angel ministry, the, the priesthood ministry, uh, speaking through the priest by using the Urim and the Thummim, Thummim to get answers from God, speaking through the prophets. We get into Samuel and we start to see uh, before that the book of Judges, there wasn't a king and there was judges that were risen up, but there was these things called the seers. They were the prophets of the time. And when Samuel began his ministry, we start to see this ministry of prophets. And it goes all the way through uh, the Bible. And so we saw the power in that. What Hebrews will do is prove that Jesus is superior to all these things. And so Jesus comes into the world. He gives us everything we needed. He did a ministry for three and a half years. He left us with this complete word of God. Uh, he is the fulfilling and the bringing light to what was said about him by the prophets, by the angels, and by the priesthood. The things that made them scratch their head. We don't know what we're saying. Jesus came in and made it very clear what he was saying. We have all we need to know about Jesus Christ in this book called the Bible. When he did become, when did, you know, it says that he is the heir, right? It says um, he was appointed heir of all things. When was he appointed heir? Before creation. Before he made anything, all things were made by him. Did you know that? And he was before all things, so he can't be an angel. He's God. Plain and simple. He was the heir before all of creation. And you know what's good about that? Romans 8, 17 says that you and I are joint heirs. Isn't that cool? I know you may, might not have a whole bunch down here, but you got a whole bunch up there. We are joint. Everything is his. And he can't wait for you and me to get to heaven so he can blow our minds and show us everything that he's got waiting for us, right? He made this world in six days, and you're excited about it. 
How much greater is the place that he's gone to prepare for us that he's been doing for 2,000 years? The stuff that men kill each other over, he uses it for asphalt, gold. All right, I, all right. I'm excited. Maybe that was just for me. Okay. We are heirs, joint heirs. That means we will be able to partake of everything that's his. That's good news. It says that he created the worlds, King James worlds. A better word to be used, if you look at the Greek, would be universe. Some of your uh, versions might have universe. Some of your versions might have ages, um, worlds. I, I think universe is a better term because the universe is so grand. It's so massive, isn't it? I mean, we don't even know the depths of our universe. We can't even find out how big it is. We know that there's like trillions of galaxies, hello, that we just know of. And the funny thing is, is that we're in this little teeny galaxy called the Milky Way galaxy, which is really just a speck in the big picture. It's just a speck in that big picture. And, and, and it's like it's you got to stop and think about this inside the galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, which is a speck in our universe that we have the Earth in the Milky Way galaxy, which is a speck in the Milky Way galaxy. Then you have you on this Earth that's just a speck, a speck of dust on a ball of dust that's a speck in a galaxy, a galaxy that's a speck in the universe. And now scientists are starting to say, they said, you know, if anything wasn't in the position that it was, we would cease to exist. It's almost as if Earth was made for man. And then the next question hits him, well, why does God have to make the universe so big if we're just a speck, a galaxy that's a speck in the universe on a ball of dirt that's just a speck in the galaxy and we're just a speck? Why, does he have to, why is the universe so big if there isn't life anywhere else? Well, there is. It's called heaven. It's called the throne of God. It's called, what, what's out there? In there? You, forget the UFOs, guys. They're angels. They're fallen angels. They're good angels. Uh, it says the angels are in that firmament where the stars lie. They travel back and forth. That's what it is. There's no other life. You say, well, then why is the universe so big? Maybe it's so big just to declare his glory because he's worthy to be worshipped. And I think we need to upgrade our worship to match how great the universe is. John 1 says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who's the Word? Jesus is the Word. 1 John chapter 1 says, some have handled it, the Word of God. Some have handled the Word. When, every time you open this up, you're handling the Word. You're handling Jesus. You're handling His desires for you. His truths. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. All things, hello. He's not a created being like the Mormons say. He's not a created being like the Jehovah Witnesses say. He is the Creator. He is the pre-existent One. He is not created. He created all things. All things were made through Him and without Him, Nothing was made that was made. Check this out. Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God. We just talked about that. We can't stand in the Father's presence. 
So what does he do? He clothes himself in flesh, comes down, something tangible, God incarnate. Why did Jesus close himself in flesh? Why did he impress himself into our world? Because he had to die for our sins. And so in order to die for our sins, he had to be fully man and fully God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That is a title of authority. The firstborn was a position, right? Remember when Abraham was told he was going to have a child and, and him and his wife tried to do it on their own? They had Ishmael. He was the firstborn, but he didn't get firstborn title. Who did it go to? Isaac. The same thing happened with Isaac. He had two sons, twins, Esau and Jacob. But Esau was the elder, but he lost the birthright. This speaks of authority. Jesus is the authority over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth. Check this out. Visible and invisible. Do you know there's a whole other realm right now, even here? I mean, looking at the scriptures, it's really easy for me to know that there's a spiritual warfare going on that we can't see right now. A battle of angels and fallen angels that are battling now, trying to distract you so you cannot hear the word of God and be blessed. Oh, my phone went off. Oh, missed it. There's a war going on right now. There's a battle for your soul. He's the creator of all things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And check this out. He is before all things. And all things by him consist. See, that brings us to this beautiful part here where he is the creator of all things and all things are being held together by him. The chair you're sitting on, he's holding it together. The building that we're in, he's holding it together. He created it. He made it. He's holding it together. It's an amazing thing. Who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, he is holding, upholding everything together. It talks about the brightness of his glory. That word brightness in the Greek is, is the word off-shining. He is the off-shining of God. You want to know what God looks like? You want to know what the Father looks like? Look at Jesus. Remember when Philip goes, hey, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus is like, come on, Phil. How long have I been with you? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the off-shining. There is a glow about him. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, he took Peter, James, and John? Very important part of their ministry. Go up on the Mount of Transfiguration. The boys fall asleep. Everywhere he took them important, they fell asleep. So they're sleeping, and then all of a sudden Jesus is transfigured into his glory, and Elijah and Moses are there. The boys wake up and freak out. They see Elijah and Moses. They see Jesus glowing. Now this was not glory that came down upon him. This was glory that came from within. He was clothed in flesh. It was, it was holding back his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw this 
glory radiate out of him. They were blown up. They were so excited. They're coming down the mountain. They go, man, we can't wait to tell everybody about this. And Jesus looks over and goes, don't tell anybody. Not until after the resurrection. Just keep it to yourself. After the resurrection, you can do that. His glory. His Shekinah glory. The glory of God. You know, in the tabernacle and in Solomon's temple, um, you know, if you went into the holy place, like when Moses built the tabernacle and you went into the holy place, the holy place was where you had the table of showbread, the altar of incense, and the lampstand, the, 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 the seven candlesticks, okay? Picture of the church and the Holy Spirit because of the oil. And it lit up the holy place, right? You had the table of showbread, Lord, give us our daily needs, our daily bread. And then you had the altar of incense where you go and put incense, and it, it represented prayers rising up, right? The altar of incense was right in front of the curtain, right? Remember the curtain? Now, the holy place was, uh, in the tabernacle was 30 feet by 15. It was a rectangular. And then right, bef- right there where the curtain was, beyond that was where the Ark of the Covenant was, right? Inside the Holy of Holies, it was 15 feet by 15 feet. It was a cube. Study the New Jerusalem, you get the same thing, a cube. But inside, there was no light. But on one day, the Day of Atonement, when all of Israel would gather together at that time of Moses, some three million people, and there was an offering for the sin of the people, they would wait with anticipation for the priest to come out and say, we've been forgiven, and they would all freak out and yell and shout and party and dance. But if things didn't go right, that high priest was smoked right there in the Holy of Holies. What would happen, he'd have to do all these sacrifices, a sacrifice for himself, a sacrifice for all these things. He had to go fully prepared, and then he would go into the holy place, and if he had done everything right, he was good. But if he did anything that was wrong, they had a rope tied to his leg, he would drop dead, they wouldn't hear the bells ringing on the end of his robe anymore, and they would drag him out and then put the rope on somebody else's, you're in, bro, (laughs) you're next. But there was no light in there. Well, then how did he see what he was doing? Because God's glory lit the room. Jesus Christ is the off-shining, the brightness, the bright and morning star. We see that the new Jerusalem, when it comes down, there won't be any night. I remember when uh, talking to my grandkids right here in the front when they were little and I was telling them about the book of Revelation and the New Jerusalem and that there's no more night. Uh, one of them asked me, I think it was Nala, he goes, so that, does that mean we don't have to go to bed? <laughs> I was like, I guess so. See, you know, the great thing is when they were really little and I would tell them about Jesus, they'd get excited about Jesus. They didn't, they didn't argue about anything. They just wanted details. Problem with adults, they want to argue about everything. You give the scriptures to the to kids and they just go, sounds good to me. Tell me a little bit more about this not going to bed stuff. What, what are the perks? What's, what else? It's so simple. The new Jerusalem won't have any darkness. They won't have night, but the light will be because of the glory of the presence of the one and true and living God. The image of his person, the impress And then it says he is the one that is upholding everything. What does that mean? That means Jesus Christ is holding everything together. It says in in Colossians 1.17, excuse me, Colossians 1.17, for he is before all things and by him all things consist. All things came forth from Jesus Christ. Ultimately, 
all things will return to him. And it's happening this way because he holds all things together. He is holding everything together. He is holding this universe together, our world, our lives, the stuff we have, our bodies. He's holding it together. And and I'm going to suggest to you right now, it's harder for him to hold everything together than it is to just let go and let it blow. Why do I say that? Because scientists are baffled at the structure of the universe as they've been studying the atomic structure and they've been studying the atom for decades. They don't understand why an atom, everything's made up of atoms. Did you know that? An atom has a nucleus with neutrons, protons. It has electrons flying all around it. But basically, an atom is mostly space. What we have here is an electrical field. But if you took out all the space and the atoms that make up this pulpit, you wouldn't see this pulpit. It'd be gone. It'd be so small. In other words, if you took all the atoms out of the Earth, the, the, the planet Earth, it would be reduced to the size of a basketball, some say even a baseball. It would still have the same weight. But that's how much space is in an atom. Now the thing that the scientists don't understand is that in the center of an atom is protons in the nucleus, and protons are a positive force that repel, they push away. Okay? They're all clustered together. There's no reason that they should be all clustered together. They should have just been flying apart. What is holding them together? And they came up with this amazing analogy. They said, hmm, atomic glue. (laughs) Which really doesn't say anything. It doesn't explain nothing, does it? Now, on the other hand, you've got this nucleus in the center, and then all around outside are these electrons that are spinning around the nucleus, and they're a negative charge which means they should be collapsing right into the center of the atom, but they don't do it. See, you ever played with a magnet? They got positive sides and a negative side. If you try to put the two positives together, they push apart, don't they? You you gotta force them. But if you flip one side, a positive to a negative, boom, they, they, they just join right together, don't they? So scientists can't figure out why the protons don't blow apart and why the electrons just don't collapse into it. They're they're blown away by it. And they've discovered it takes 600,000 electron watts to drive a proton into the center of a nucleus. 600,000 electrons. They've learned to split the atom, thus causing what? Nuclear explosion. Hiroshima, Nagasaki. We learned how to destroy things by splitting an atom that Jesus is holding together. And I'll tell you what. I've never seen anything create a big bang and make anything but a mess. Right? When you blow stuff up, it makes a mess. It doesn't make anything. That whole big bang theory, what a joke. Don't buy into that. The amazing thing about protons and the power to repel is so amazing that one gram of protons, do you, do you know how big a gram is? There's 154 grams in a pound. Don't tell me how I know. But there is. And there's one gram. It's a real tiny thing. One gram. You take one gram of protons, put it on the North Pole, 
and you take another gram of protons and put it on the south pole, you would need 50,000 pounds to hold each gram down on each side to keep them from pushing apart 8,000 miles away. What's holding that all together? Uh, excuse me. Jesus. He's got the whole world in his hand. You know that song? It's actually accurate. He's got the whole world in his hand. It takes more power to hold this world together than to let it go. It takes more power for him to hold your chair together than to just let go. It takes more power to hold everything back than to just stand out of the way and let it go through. He is holding this whole world together. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but He is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. You hear that? The heavens shall pass away with a great noise. So listen, the Big Bang is not in the beginning. It's at the end. You have to remember that it doesn't start with a Big Bang. It ends with one. And the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? We have a duty to our King to act right, to get the Gospel out, to realize that what's going on in the Middle East right now we're headed to the end. We're headed to where the trumpet's going to sound. We're headed for Jesus coming for his church. Are you ready? It takes more power to hold everything together than it does to let go. And when he lets go, this whole place is going to blow. He's going to take the church out. He's going to do the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation. He's going to set up his kingdom for a thousand years, and at the end of that, He's going to blow this whole world and he's going to start fresh. And you and I in our new bodies in heaven are going to witness Genesis 1-1 right before our eyes where Jesus is going to open his mouth and make a new heavens, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. He's excited. Thank God for kids being right on cue. It says here that Jesus, he himself, purged our sins who paid for your sins i'll give you another shout out that who paid for your sins jesus. jesus nobody else not you definitely not you definitely not me we didn't buy pay for it we didn't you know he did it all he did it all and then it says he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become so much better than the angels, he has been, he by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now we'll get more into angels next week. But Jesus purged our sins and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That is really important for us to understand because Jesus is our high priest. But if you look all through the scriptures when it deals with the temple of Solomon, the temple during Jesus' time, the tabernacle, the high priest never sat down, the high priest never, there was no chair in the Holy of Holies, he was always busy, and, and the reason was, is he was never finished. 
There was always more sacrifices waiting for the sins of mankind. And the, the high priest's job was never finished. It took Jesus, our great high priest, to finish the work at the cross. He was the final sacrifice once and for all. No more sacrifices needed. He was our great high priest. He did it all for us. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Why? Because it was finished and he set it on the cross. Paid in full. To tell us die. It's finished. And that should bless your heart because you're His today. And He loves you and He adores you and His desires for you are good. And if we, let me encourage you, if we just yield, He'll use you and He'll blow your mind. If we just yield. He's just looking for a willing vessel. Not qualified, Not super gifted, just willing. Because you know why? He likes to take the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And in the world's eyes, we're a bunch of fools. But God can use you and me. We have the worship team come forward. Let's stand and let's pray. Father, we come before you right now humbly, crying out to you, Abba, we want more of you. Lord, we want to be willing to be used. We want to help us to have the strength to yield ourselves to you. Pour out your spirit on everyone that's here, Lord God. Give them the strength to live for you. We know you're coming soon, Lord. We continue to pray for Israel. Pray that you intervene. Take control of that. Show yourself mighty. Pray for the folks there. Bring them peace and comfort, protection. And Lord, uh, we just pray for our own island that Lord, we need more of you. We need, we need to see a move of the Spirit. We need to see revival, a great awakening. Hit the North Shore for your glory. And so, Lord, right now we just ask for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Would you just fill us to overflowing right now, Lord God? Do what you do best. Strengthen us. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I don't want you to leave without an opportunity to give your life to Christ. So if this is for you, just pray this in your heart. Lord, I, I believe you who you are. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you're seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. I believe that you're the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man can come to the Father except through you. And Lord, I ask you humbly to forgive me of my sins, my unrighteousness, and to anoint me afresh with the Holy Spirit. I pray that you save me now. If you just prayed that in your heart, Lift up your hand. You're a child of God. God bless you in the back. I see you. Anyone else? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we know all of heaven rejoices over one. So let's give the Lord a shout in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen.